0: um because at, at first I had reservations about him he scored a lot of goals which, which shoots down my argument but um he's just for me he's just started being more of a team player
1: yeah this is rich Arlison, um, yeah
0: yep yeah?
1: Yeah. yeah yeah so he's a, he's a hell of a talent he's still young i Personally, you know, touch wood, I hope not, but I think he's destined to go to Barcelona or somewhere like that. You're like yeah. one of your continental clubs that have got a history of yeah. having great Brazilian players. He's still really How old, old. is he? How old is he?
0: 23, 24. No. Oh, wow, I didn't know. So I've got to, I've got to change my, uh, my opinion a little bit. I thought he was a lot older than that.
1: No, not at all. So no, and uh, he, you look at Calvert-Lewin as well, who's yeah. been playing up front as well. Um yeah. It's been great to see him. He's like best on the scene, hasn't he, this season with the goals yeah. he's been scoring. <laughs> Very,
0: good season. Very good
1: season. Yeah. Uh,
0: so
1: Yeah. Um, I've um I you know what, we've been having such a good conversation, I decided to click record, but uh I'll formally introduce the podcast guest for today. Um one of the regular guests on my podcast, Paul Fletcher, has told me multiple times about how tight knit And together, Burnley's 1970s team was and continues to be even today. So it's my pleasure to have this conversation with the captain of that side, Colin Waldron. Colin also played for Bury, Chelsea, Manchester United and Sunderland and went on to enjoy a couple of seasons in the United States, which I'm really looking forward to hearing about before finishing his playing career with Rochdale. Uh, colin we've been you know we've been talking now for about ten minutes having a great conversation about yeah. football today um but in regard to yourself that's one hell of a career um I really appreciate you taking the time to speak to me today how are things with you
0: good um it, yeah, i mean obviously for obvious reasons it's so far back now it's decades ago um and I meet up with the lads but we've, we tend to now and then little stories come back um and we have a good laugh, but when I look back at when you're making me look back at my career, the it's somehow I give very little thought to ever. Um, but nine clubs, can't I don't know whether it was a good thing or a bad thing. But um, I always think when I, when I used to see other players have had so many clubs, I thought there must have been something wrong with them. Mm. Um, but. I just hope that wasn't the case with me.
1: Well, I think you made a point. Make a point there in that when people see um, a footballer with a long CV, if you like, of clubs and you know yeah. played a lot of different clubs, they often think journeyman. You know, well, yeah, yeah. And people. I don't, I don't want to be called a journeyman. No, I was, was going to say, Colin. I think you're widely regarded as a as a Burnley legend. Um, if I'm correct in saying, you won a Division Two championship and yeah. um, a charity shield as well yeah. uh, for yeah. for Burnley which is really good going I would say and just um, to get the ball rolling two quick questions um, before getting on to you and your own story um, I always enjoy hearing from ex-pros who the best player was that they played with and the best player that they played against now I asked Paul this, really interesting answers and he said the best player that he played with uh, was Roger Hunt, when Roger Hunt went to Bolton. And the best player, yeah. the best player he played against was Georgie Best. So I was wondering, because of reading up on your time in America, you played against some absolute icons. So I was wondering for yourself, who's the best player that you played with and the best player you played against?
0: The, for me, the best player I've played against is the best player that's ever lived. And, okay, I played against Pellet, and Beckenbauer and Cruyff, who were unbelievable players. But the best player that's ever lived was George Best. Really? And, and, and by a country mile.
1: So above Lionel Messi, Palais, Maradona.
0: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you can, don't get me wrong, you can nitpick. If you look at Messi, can't hit a ball, he's not big enough. No right foot, can't tackle. Now, okay, you might not need to do any of those things. But George Best to this day, nobody knows whether he was left-footed or right-footed. He were brilliant with both. He was a great tackler. He was a great edge of a ball. Scored goals, created goals. Unbelievable. Now, don't get me wrong, some of the other players I've mentioned were unbelievable. But I don't think anybody had the effect on a team. Like, I don't know Messi has an effect, but Bestie was something else. So, um,
1: similar to Paul, you'd say George Best.
0: <laughs> if it, it, he said Best, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I didn't, I didn't know, I didn't know he thought that. But for me, it was a, it was a no-brainer. Um, and on top of that, lovely, lovely lad. Yeah. If if you bumped into him in a bar, absolute diamond. Yeah. Uh, that's nothing to do with being a player, but it it it, it helps his reputation. Yeah, that's great uh, to, Yeah. The best, uh, I played with would probably be um, in the short stay I had at Chelsea, it was littered with players. Charlie Cook, Peter Benetti in goal, but the standout player for me was Peter Osgood. Um, again, lovely lad, but a, a player and a half. One thing stopped him being an absolute blinding player. Was a little bit of lack of pace, but his control and his vision is absolutely superb. Um, That's really interesting to hear. Yeah. Well, different people have different ideas, but uh, because I played with him Mm -hmm. at Chelsea and then we've played against him, um, and we played um, a little story for you we played at home against Chelsea not many months after I'd been transferred and we had a a centre-half who played alongside me called Colin Blant and Blanty is one of those players you would not want to go against. You would not want to go anywhere near him and Osgood made the mistake of hitting him with a bad tackle and Blanty went off and there were no subs in those days and Ozzy comes to me because we were pals from Chelsea and he's he's mouthing, you know, really cock of the, cock of the park there and he, and he's really full of it. Mm-hmm. And five minutes later, there's a great big cheer and Blanty comes back down the tunnel. And I've looked at Ozzy and I said, Ozzy, you're in trouble, son. Oz but there's about, there was at least the second half and part of the first half left. Ozzy went and played left back. Couldn't come up anywhere near. Uh, I think we ended up winning two or three now. But uh, Ozzy was a good player, the best I'd played against, I thought.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting. And I think one of the particular reasons why I was really looking forward to speaking to you was that my granddad, who I was really close with, um, he was a centre-half as well. you agree really with this one. What was the, oh I know, I know I know I know but he was the centre half as well um and he played in around the the 1950s 1960s and he made the two Everton's B team um he brought me up to be a centre half as well when I played and you know taught me the fund fundamentals like um don't play the ball across the face of your goal you know no fin yeah. no funny business if it needs you know putting yeah. out fucking yeah. put it out don't mess about um. And he also gave me the the conf the self confidence I would say to every team that I went into. I wanted to be the captain. You know, I just sort of had that about me of wanting to display leadership abilities and, and be a leader, so to speak. So I think again, it's one of the reasons why I'm really looking forward to speaking to you. Uh, what would you say some of your best qualities were as a player?
0: As a player, uh, obviously centre half, you. you... Number one is you've got to be a good head of the ball um, and you've got to have the ability to tackle. Uh, We had a good... uh, At Burnley where I picked up loads of good advice. Um, You know, you don't start tackling people in the penalty box. We very rarely give penalties away. Um, And when I was a kid at Bury... Um, I'm not sure I should go down this line, but when I was a kid at Bury, I was playing centre-half and going up from the B team to the A team through the reserves to the first team. And I got into the first team and realised that um, at this level, there was an awful lot of... Um, I've got a word this there was an awful lot of unbelievably hard play going on. And I wasn't that kind of player. But within two or three games, I became that kind of player. Because if I didn't, I wouldn't have survived. Yeah. And people people don't realise that in those days, the 60s, 70s particularly the the on-field filth that went on was frightening
1: yeah but you, you had to be you had to be able to defend yourself
0: you bloody well had to and when you were playing leads i mean i always make the case that when we played um when we played we had two or three players at the back that would that could handle themselves and be the kind of player that the hardness that you needed and most teams had two or three Leeds had eight
1: yeah Paul told me about this Don Revy's side
0: yeah yeah and here's, here's something else. you've just brought something back and it was in the paper about 12 months ago they took a current referee I think, it was either B, I think it might have been the BBC. They took a referee and they said, we're going to show you a game from the 70s and we want you to tell us what you think. And they sat him in a studio on his own and showed him, I think it was the Leeds, Chelsea, it might have been the semi-final, I don't know, but certainly Leeds were one of the teams. And he wrote all the notes and they came back and said, right, we've just got two questions for you. If you'd refereed that game, how many yellows, how many reds? He said, if I'd refereed that game, there'd have been 20 yellows, 12 reds. So they said, right. So he said, just one sec, how many were there? He said, one yellow. Wow. Now that, Says it all it was, Because now it is Now it is It's, it's, it's for, Quite rightly It's not like that anymore It couldn't go on like that
1: Do you think it's um, too soft today though?
0: Do you think they'd, did I don't think it's too um I don't think it's too soft Because Here's something that, that I, I still watch the television yeah. And I'm still astounded That they've got these cameras now <laughs> They've got the camera and they'll go to VAR. And for me, I don't mind VAR because for, with VAR has to be the truth. And VAR will have four or five different angles and they still get it wrong. Mm. How can you get, how can that happen? That, that's my big thing. But going back to when, when we played, the referees, and it's, it's the same today, The referees today, and particularly then, they know all the rules of football. They have to. Mm. Footballers don't. None of us knew any... You knew what a foul was, but we would know 50% of the rules because it never bothered us. We just took what the referee said. But a referee has to know all the rules. So when a referee goes on the pitch, he's educated, we aren't. On the other side, when the referee goes on the field, he doesn't know what goes on in the park, and we do. And that's that the two things collide, um, because I don't think referees, I don't think they can probably or they couldn't believe what was going on. Mm. Nowadays, nowadays it's far more acceptable. There is nothing. I don't think there's anything stupid going on. But now and then you see one wild one, but very rarely.
1: Yeah. Um, I'm trying to cast my mind back. Paul mentioned the name of a certain lead centre-half. I believe it was Norman Hunter. Correct me if i got yeah. that wrong. Did you have any... I've heard he was a, a tough, nut, tough nut to crack.
0: Well, when, when you, we, we picked Norman Hunter because he, um, he hit one of our best players. Frank Casper. Yeah, and it was it was a defining tackle because it was the week before we played the semi final, and Frank was an absolute um, top notch player for us. Um, we couldn't. Re- we, he played. He should never have played, but he played, and it took him months to get over it. Um, but the Leeds had. Players and every like I said to you, eight players that snapped me in half. Mm. Um, Hunter was one of them, Um, but I think we pick on Hunter because he how he hit Casp.
1: Okay, that's understandable. Uh, On a different note, Uh, like it's really interesting to hear like the the changes in the game that you're going on about, especially from like a um, a refereeing perspective, as opposed to how the players perceive and understand the games. out of curiosity, did you have any superstitions when you played? Uh, or did you have to be a particular number? Like my granddad was a number five. I was a number five. I always made sure I played. That was number
0: five. Well, let me jo- let me join the club. <laughs> um, I mean, they put me on number six once. I said, I'm not wearing it. They said, well, it's in the programme. I said, that happens again. I don't go out. Um... So I wore number five. Most a lot of players had superstitions. Um, I used to take a a, a a gold necklace thing I had on uh, with a co- an old coin, and I had to take that off last and hang it on me on me hook. Little things like that. Everybody has them. Yeah. Um, some people. Um, one guy under it, he had to put his foot his boot on first on the left foot first daft but if it works for him it works
1: no of course still rings true today a lot of players today i feel (laughs) superstitions now yeah you mentioned earlier about being a young lad coming through at berry right and correct me if i'm wrong here um but when i was doing some some reading up obviously as as a podcast host i think you've got to be you know well researched before you go into any podcast um i'm led to believe you were born in bristol so, yeah, I was. I'm curious, how does a Bristol lad end up playing for Bury rather than going through at one of the Bristol clubs?
0: I lived a lot of my life in Oldham uh, from being something like three months old, and my dad was in the um, army, they Royal marines, just come out of the war, and my mum lived in Bristol and he was stationed. Sorry, he, she, was, uh, st- she was from Oldham. My dad was from Bristol. And he was he's stationed up here. They got together, got married, went down to Bristol. I was born. They came straight back up to Oldham and lived there every, every, every after that.
1: Ah, okay. That makes sense. Um, how was it coming through uh, at Bury at the time? I mean, it, it's, an, it's a real shame. Um to see what they've gone through as a as a club, obviously now they've yeah,
0: um, always watched the results. Um, mm. But they're a very very small club, um, and the, they're they're like seven eight miles from Bolton, which is a big population. The ten oh, no, or seven eight miles from Manchester, which doesn't need any explanation. So the crowds are always small, but they did all right in that particular time. Um, they're in the second division. We're doing okay, and I was brought through um from like the a, the B team the A team reserves and then into the first team and luckily um on my debut it was at Blackburn which was a local derby and I, I was fortunate to have a good game and the next the next game was against Bolton and I was playing against lad like, called Wynne Davis who was a six foot two centre forward great in the air and Again, I, I was fortunate enough to have a good game. So the first two matches I had against top players, against top clubs, local clubs, big crowds, um, I just rolled me luck. And and after that, I, you know, I got established. And I only played twenty games, and I'm off to Chelsea.
1: Yeah. Um, when I last spoke to to Paul, uh, I can't believe he didn't tell me sooner, but. He told me a story that when he come through uh, at Bolton, you know one day he was told right, jump in the car, you're being sold um, and he didn't have a clue where he was going <laughs> to he didn't know what team um and it turns out, and this is why I can't believe he hadn't told me up until the other week that it was harry katrick's Everton that were that were interested in signing him
0: really?
1: uh, yeah, and apparently everton um, were a bit scared about losing Joe Royal. Apparently Joe Royal was a, a really hot prospect coming through at the time yeah. as a yeah. young lad. Um so they had their eye on Paul as a potential uh, replacement. And for medical reasons, Paul ended up failing the um just the move fell through for, for medical yeah. purposes. Um so I'm I'm wondering from from your experience, obviously then you you moved down to Chelsea, did that move obviously it's big for you you're still a young lad did it have that element of, of mystery around it
0: do you know anything about me move
1: not too much I've read a little bit about it but that's for you to tell me
0: <laughs> I'm very I'm, needed 30 grand and they, they offered me for sale and in comes one club Liverpool Bill Shankly and I'm told to, to come get, get dressed the following day, smart, collar and tie, come and meet Shanks. You're going to go to Liverpool. I, t- I get two phone calls when I'm at home. And one is to say, don't sign, because there's another club in for you. See what they've got off, offer, and you can compare the two. The third call was from Joe Mercer who was manager of Man City. And, and, and as a, I only already, I already knew him from listening to him on the radio and the TV. And I thought a lot about him. And I, I'd a love to sign for him. And he said, "Colly said, I'm just ringing up to let you know that we can't sign you because we want to offer a player and some money, but Bury need the money. And just have a great career, son. Wherever you do, don't get caught between two stools. So you must have known the two clubs that were involved. I didn't. Then the following day, um, I meet Shanks. Me, him, in a room with him, and two of his... One was it, uh, the secretary, I've forgotten his name, and, and another director. And he starts, do you smoke, do you drink, do you have sex, do you do... And he fired and absolutely crapped myself and sat there... And I mean, I frightened, frightened me to death and I'd been told not to sign for him. And I thought, what? Well, that, that doesn't need much doing. Um, and at the end, he's just signing his son. And I had to say, I want to go and speak to my mum and dad. Yeah. I said, I'm going to go and speak to my mum and dad. And he said, right, we'll come down to your house. So I drove back to Oldham to, to say, dad, Shanks is coming. I, I can't sign for him. I've got to see this other club. Tell him we'll come to Anfield the following day, but I can't talk to him. I'm frightened to death. Shanks came. My dad did what he had to do and Shanks left. Get a phone call. You're coming to the airport tomorrow morning. Uh, You're going to meet somebody. Went to the airport, got driven there. In walks Tommy Doherty, manager of Chelsea, all on his own. And says, said I believe you've been meeting Shanks. And I said, yeah. He said, how much has he offered you? I said, he's offered me £50 a week, 1967, good little wage that, um, he said, I said, but I'm in the reserves for two years, you know, while, while they bring me on, and I said, that's no problem, he said, well, I'll give you £60 a week, and my team is, Osgood, Benetti, Charlie Cook, Eddie McCready, Colin Waldron, <laughs> and I said, okay, so I signed there, and then, and he, he said, and he, he, him and Shanks were quite close, even though it's was a rivalry. And he said, you've got to ring Shanks and tell him you're not going to Liverpool. And I rang Shanks and um, am I allowed to swear? Of course you are. I rang Shanks and he came on the phone. I said, I can, I can quote you verbatim because I can never forget the words. Mr. Shank, it's Colin Waldron. I've signed for Chelsea. A deathly hush. And then the whole fucking deal stinks some. And you never could fucking play and hung up. Cheeky bastard. (laughs) Well, not it it didn't bother me because I'd I'd been in this telephone box in Manchester airport, absolutely crapping myself. I was just thankful to get out. (laughs) Years go by and I've established myself come to Burnley, establish himself as a uh, decent player, playing okay. We go to Liverpool and win 1-0, which you never do. Not in those days, but night game. And I'm last one out of the dressing room and there's a, there's a bit of a long corridor. And as I'm just starting to walk down this corridor at the other end, Shanks is holding a press conference. And just as I start walking towards it, because that's where they, they, the bar was, where they drink afterwards, Uh the press conference goes, and he's walking. That there's me and him walking towards each other. And to be fair to him, as he gets to me, he puts his hand on my chest. He's only about five foot eight, five foot seven, and he goes, "I always knew you'd be a good one." I walked on. Oh, okay. For a month, for a month, I were ten foot tall. No. <laughs> oh. uh.
1: Okay, no, I, I retract my statement. Then he wasn't a cheeky bastard. At least he always thought highly of you. No,
0: well, I mean, but that was Shank's to a T. Yeah. He was so fired up. Um, but I thought, I just thought he was—he made Liverpool what they are. Mm. No doubt about that.
1: Yeah. So, anyway, certainly had a lasting impact. And just yeah. interestingly, from from on that Chelsea move, how old were you around the time of that, that Chelsea move? Um, i would
0: just turned nineteen. Oh, wow, that's so young. It is, particularly when I'd played 21 games, still on a learning curve, and always lived at home with mum and dad. Now I was going down to London, live in Diggs. And and the other thing it was that, and it took me quite a, it took me a few years to realise that I'd walked into a, a horrible dressing room. Um, because I went to the dressing room and we had all these stars. I mean, they were just incredible. Um, who's who? And I'm playing with them. And I start off OK, but then my game goes and I was desperate to be dropped. I wanted to be dropped. And Doherty kept playing me. Um, the crowd were having a dig at me. And eventually, I only played nine games and I got dropped. And... But what I, what I didn't realise was that the dressing room was, was um, toxic and the, all these were senior players. Benetti had his own group. Uh, Ron Harris had his own group. Um, Eddie McCreed had his own group. And I, I didn't realise because I, I, I never I hardly ever spoke to anybody. And here's the, here's the classic. about I spent, I spent three or four months down there because I signed in the June Started in August. In October, i have been transferred back to Burnley, mm. up to Burnley. Um, and I lived in, my, in my, my mid digs. I never went out. I didn't, nobody invited me out. Um, they all, Most of them lived down in Brighton. I'm living uh, 20, 15 minutes away from the ground. And one night, for some reason, I get invited to a party. Uh, and I'd, I'd never been out for months. And I thought, I'll go. And I go to this party, and it's it's in a, a semi taxed house. Um, lots of people in, packed. And at that particular time, the lad that I'd replaced it, it, or jumped over, going into the team at Burnley, it was I called Jimmy Thompson, who is, who is now at Burnley was at Burnley within within a year of me signing for him. But he was in the reserves as a centre-half at Chelsea. Okay. And I this time put me in. Jimmy Thompson was six-foot, uh, fair-haired Scottish lad. And we still seems to this day as part of the group. Anyway, so I go to this party and I'm, I'm having a bad time in the, at the team. The team are doing badly. And I've been there 10 minutes and I, I, I don't know a soul. And this lad comes up, maybe early 20s. And he says, Jimmy, how are you? And I thought, he thinks I'm Jimmy Thompson. He says, Jimmy, I've got to ask you. He said, what about that fucking Colin Waldron? Does he stink? <laughs> and I'm thinking, right, yeah, I said, see you. So i out the door and gone. So <laughs> my only night out, when I were in Chelsea, that was it. Fucking hell. And, and to be honest, I didn't blame him because I, I was playing, I wasn't playing well, Mm. but I I blamed myself for everything. But it was only two or three years later when I spoke to other people who said, well, okay, you you might have been not doing well, but it wasn't your fault. You weren't doing that badly. It's just all the players around you, the dressing room atmosphere and and I'm thinking, why did, and I I was too young to realise what was going on. Um, But I didn't know anybody hardly. Mm. Um, And I never, ever, ever went for a drink with a player. Uh, The Jimmy Thompson thing just summed it all up.
1: (laughs) Well, it's great that those years later you were able to put your finger on it and realise, ah, that's why I wasn't able to adapt. And just, I guess, a follow-up question from that was, it's probably in my own ignorance for not knowing, but was that Chelsea side very ever successful?
0: Well, they'd been successful. Uh, from memory, um, I think the season prior to me going there, they'd got beat in the final. Um, and I, I'm not sure whether was it that season. Was it season I left? They got to the final. I think they got to the se- the, the final twice, lost one and won one. And I can't, I can't. I, you better check that. Okay. Um, uh, I was there night 68 Sorry, sixty-seven, three months. Okay, um, but um, the only player I had any contact with was Peter Osgood, who I thought was a great lad. Yeah, uh, but I was, I was so thankful to come back, get back home, um, and straight. And what summed it all up for me? What, what? Uh, just got me confidence back, if you like. Was that? I was still playing the same league with Burnley as I was with, with Chelsea, the first division. And as soon as I came to Burnley, I was in, I was playing well, I was fine.
1: Yeah, so it, Made, wasn't, it
0: wasn't you? No, I, it was, I wasn't to, to blame as much as I thought. Okay. Um, so that, that, that uh, opened my eyes a little bit.
1: Yeah, and I, I was just thinking that yeah a couple of finals but that may be part of the reason why that Chelsea side wasn't so successful at that toxic team environment when you've got little clicks in the dressing room uh, oh, yeah, without, without you know um, that sort of team cohesion if you like I think I
0: think I think that um, the manager was Tommy Doherty obviously and the day I left in October I signed in June I left in October the day I left, the, that was the day he got sacked that day. And I remained a friend of Tommy Doherty right, right through until he passed away six months ago. Um, and the, the main reason for that was I came to Burnley and his son was at Burnley, Mick Dock, and became a great friend of Mick's. So then I started seeing Tommy Dock again. Um and Tommy Doch was a complete character all on his own, uh, and loved the guy to bits.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's good that you've managed that you, you're able to have that sort of relationship with the manager, in particular. And am I right in saying that you signed for Burnley under a different manager um, than Jimmy Adamson?
0: Yeah, I signed under a, a manager called Harry Potts. Right because um, uh, but it was harry and jimmy that came and interviewed me and it was jimmy that got me to sign the contract now that didn't make any difference because i didn't know either of them um i just thought they were that was it when we when i started training with burnley it became clear that uh, obviously Pottsy was the manager he might be down at training once or twice a week adamson was the coach. And his coaching methods were unbelievably good. I mean, even him as, as an immature player growing up, um, eye opening. Uh, yeah, and that that followed us right through to because um, when he became manager, uh, is is is. Is is soccer now? then showed through, um, but it was Adamson that
1: uh, that brought us all us lot on. Yeah, that that's really interesting to hear about his um, his coaching methods uh, and his ability to coach. Because Paul speaks very highly of him, but when I spoke to Paul about Adamson, Paul mentioned his man management abilities and his ability to to motivate you. Um, to go out and perform. So, I was wondering well, for you well, as captain, that relationship's got to be different to the rest of the team. I would say it, it it hasn't. It hasn't. It's it's a
0: difficult one because Paul and I um, we're very very close, along with five, four or five of the the players. I mean, of the team, there's about seven, and we meet up on a regular basis. And one of the things that we never agree on is Adamson. Um, Because Paul is an out-and-out devoted fan and I was. But as as all these players I'm talking about now, Casper, Thompson, Doherty, uh, Nolte, uh, people that, as they tell their stories with Adamson, I'm thinking, well... I thought he was a, a a coach second to none, the greatest coach I've ever been with. His managerial skills, for me, over the years have I've just changed the way I, I wasn't. I'm not as as um, confident that I, thought, I think he could have done better. Um, whereas Fletch thinks he's the bee's knees. Um, but that's just it's just an opinion. Yeah. It's different to Fletcher's opinion. Um but as a coach, unbelievable. Uh, things that he did, and I think bloody hell, what's he doing? I mean he, he, we played one game at Everton, and you know, when you have a back four, two full backs and two centre halves, that's your back four. We were playing we we're marking Joe Royal. Now Joe was a big lad, six two, six three. I knew Joe quite well, i got on well with him. But obviously good in the air. So what Adamson had is doing, the only the only time ever in the in my entire career, that, that's how your back four is. He mm-hmm. got the back two to go like that. So you had the two full backs.
1: Like a sweeper almost.
0: Well well, not so much a sleeper, sweeper. You had Joe Royal in the middle. Me behind Joe Royal between the goals and him and the other centre-half in front of Joe Royal. Right? So you've got two full-backs, Joe Royal in the middle, me behind him, other centre-half in front of him. And we're playing that way. And the, the other centre-half, Jimmy Thompson, needs to know where Joe's going. So Joe would go to the right and I'm screaming, right, 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 right. Left, 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 left. And we did, did it in training, and it was fucking useless. And okay. we're thinking, what the bloody hell are we doing here? You he never got an edit. Juril never got an edit. The system worked, and we said, "Well, hold, hold me the but don't play it again," which we didn't. Um, wow! But that was absolutely mental. How, how we got away with that, I'll never know.
1: Uh, that that's really impressive that you managed to you know, obviously from. From what I know, obviously being brought up, told about the team of the the sixties and the seventies, yeah. the you know, oh, yeah. Evertonians think very highly yeah. of Joe Royal. Uh, rightly yeah. considered yeah. a legend, and to to cut him off like that, uh, that's impressive.
0: Well, uh, and I mean, if 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 I told it to some some pros today, some professionals, they'd laugh at you. Yeah, if I told it, it it, it was absolutely crazy, but it worked.
1: Yeah, and just just to follow up on that, I guess, it's always interesting to find out. It's, it's a bit of a selfish question, really, but what did you make of that Everton team and the club, I guess, within around the, the 60s and the 70s? Well, the,
0: the strange thing is, everybody has different views and how you view it and you look at things. I look at our team that we had in the that won the Second Division Championship I had two or three great years from then on in the in the Premiership, and if I'm to analyse that team, as I'm talking to you, Mike I'm thinking Everton have got a lot. Of, Everton, this is I'm talking about Everton, but I'm sorry about my team. Good goalkeeper, Everton had a good goalkeeper, Gordon West. Yeah, two fullbacks. The right fullback, a strong tackler. But could go forward. The left fullback was past his sell by date, but a class act. And he was naturally left footed. The two centre halves, me and Jimmy Thompson, worked well together. Two hard centre halves, good in the air. You look at the Everton back four, um, Le bon, yeah, who was like, played along, Sinc, not Sinclair, uh, Played alongside him, Simpson. Trying yeah. to
1: trying to think of his, um, his centre back partner because I've been brought. He played,
0: he played alongside Le Bourne and was sensational. The fullbacks, um, I can't remember the name.
1: Ray Wilson. Ray Wilson was the left back.
0: Ray Wilson. Right? Uh, and I don't know. Then you go into midfield. Our our midfield, a right sided midfield player called Martin Dobson, bombed through. Played for England. Bombed, bombing forward on the right, scored you twelve goals a season. Our quarterback was the left-sided, a natural left-sided midfield player, Doug Collins. He created for us in the middle. Jeff Nulty who became an Everton fan, a, a player, played right in front of the back four. He, he'd go forward, scored you ten goals a season. So the balance, the balance, which is a huge thing in soccer. Was perfect up front. Paul Fletcher, great in the air and brave. Alongside him, Frank Casper, a gazelle with a cannon in both feet. Winger Leighton James, two-footed, crossed a great ball, scored goals. So the whole, every position in our team, perfect for great position and perfect for the for the team. At that time, Everton just the same. Bally, um, Harvey, who was, uh, was the little tough winger he had? Stocky, Alec Young. Alec Young. Uh, no, no,
1: I'm trying to um, think. Uh, Brown. Um, it might have been
0: Alec Young, uh, but I don't, but, but I Alec, always remember when, played, when we played, when we played Everton, it was like two twins going against each other. Um, and because were well, they? The balance in our team was outstanding, but the balance in Everton's team was just the same. Um, that's what's what you've just when I talk to people like yourself, Max, it, it kick starts my memory going again, it yeah. all brings it all back.
1: Yeah, no, that, that's really good to hear. And I mean we we were speaking a little bit before we started recording. You said you had several good performances against Everton. Yeah, was it always a tough game to to get like for oh, playing a yeah, good park? I mean,
0: we never we never won three or four <laughs> um it was always a tough game and always big crowd good crowd um and they were always a, a footballer so what what was the manager called uh, um harry, harry katrick that's it, that's him um, because he, he, he had a, a, a long spell, and he did. I thought he did well for the club. Yeah. Um, and I thought they, I thought they perfo- I thought Everton were a, a good football inside, um, and a successful side as well.
1: Yeah, of course. And to turn it back to yourself, obviously, you you enjoy. Like, I think without sounding too harsh I think by Burnley's standard you did enjoy a fair bit of success um, you obviously played a, a pivotal role in that as the captain um, to be well, ca- to be captain of a you know a side that goes on to win the league no matter what division I think that's a tremendous achievement
0: well Burnley won the league in 63 or something I don't know, 60 and I had not got to the club then but we when I got to the club Sixty-seven. It was just so-so. We got relegated a couple of years later. We had one poor season in the second division, but then we got this side together with the balance and everything. We came up, um, and the the last game of the season with, with drew at Preston. Then we won the um, Charity Shield. Yeah,
1: uh, which you scored, then by um, the way
0: yeah um again that this was this was adamson again because that goal in the charity shield was a, a set piece and set pieces hadn't been used a lot but adamson brought them in and this this little story here for you um this goal I scored against man City to win the charity shield it was there was lots of Running off the ball, different people, you know, it's a really complex move, yeah. but it ends up with me in an ocean of room heading the ball in from close range. So we scored this goal, we won the Charity Shield, and we're starting life back in the Premiership, the fifth division. Yeah. And after 13 games, we're doing well, we're about fifth or sixth. Uh, the first seven games, we don't get beat anyway. We play Man City at home. And Thursday was always a tactics day at the the training ground. And we do the tactics and then we come to the last session, the free kicks, the set pieces. And Adamson says, right, what about the free kick to Colin? And we all said, you don't do it. They'll read it. We don't do it. To a man we said look forget it we've got all the free kicks and he said no no we give it them so we said what do you mean you give it up? well i mean we were really getting argumentative with it he said hang on we'll give it them but when colin goes in on his run we'll go like that and send somebody in behind him 10 yards behind him so give him the free kick So we went through the motions of the free kick where I went on like a dummy run and somebody came in. Nobody gave it anything, any credence whatsoever. We go to Man City and after half an hour, we get a free kick in the plum position that's going to be used for this free kick. On the halfway line, Jimmy Thompson's marking Franny Lee. And Franny Lee says, using the free kick to Waldron. And Thompson says, well, just watch. <laughs> I go on my run. Alan Oakes and Mick Doyle pick me up and virtually hold me. And I look behind me and Paul Fletch is in an ocean room back of the net. Nice. And we, did, we didn't jump around because we thought, you know, we were stunned. We're absolutely stunned. <laughs> but that, Nelson. Nice. his um, best.
1: Nice. And I had a little look just to, because I wouldn't forgive myself if I got it wrong, but uh, Brian LeBone, centre-half partner, Jimmy Gabriel. I forgot Jimmy, Jimmy, Jimmy,
0: Jimmy Gabriel, Gabriel. Yeah. yeah. He, he, he might have been just getting a, little, a tad older then. Was he a hard player? Jimmy Gabriel. Hard. I
1: think, hard. So. I think I he was one of from what I know, yeah. Was he a scot? Yep, I think so, because LeBowen had the reputation of being an absolute gent. I don't think he ever received the red card.
0: Well, for me, I don't know how he got through with that, but, but um, Brian LeBowen had this reputation of being a gentleman centre-half, and I couldn't believe that he'd had a career like that. And I thought, well, if he had a career like that, a good career... And he hasn't resorted to filth, then he's got to be a player and a half. And he was.
1: <laughs> yeah. I he was someone I was brought up to with my greatly and probably like without even seeing him play. I'd say he's yeah. my favourite Everton, Everton player of all time. I, I haven't even seen him play, you know. Yeah, crazy, isn't it? Yeah, that's hypergent. Now, talk a little bit about, um, you know, you
0: mentioned... Let me interrupt. Go on. Let me interrupt. Go on. Was there a winger called Morrissey?
1: Yeah, I think it was Jimmy or Johnny, one or the other.
0: Stocky, um, what what about five, eight, five, nine, but stocky, but could play a bit, and that's right. Because I think he was part of that team I'm talking about, Johnny Morris,
1: yeah. Sorry, go on, don't worry about it. But you you mentioned there just that sort of the tactical wit of Adamson, um, which. Obviously, like people like yourself are full of praise of. And didn't, didn't you link up with him later on in your career, going to Sunderland? I believe, yeah, yeah, at
0: Sunderland. Um, big, big club, Sunderland. Yeah, um, it's a shame to see what they've been
1: through this these last couple of years. Yeah, oh, yeah, unbelievable.
0: I mean, it's, it's just a, um, I think we. I think they got relegated when I joined. Oh, no, I joined them. They were about to get relegated, I joined them. Um, But massive crowd, um, massive support. Uh, But Adamson then, um, he made me captain at uh, at Sunderland uh, and things started going wrong for him and um, what happened was he he got sacked by Burnley and gone to Sunderland and when I look back obviously it was a mistake because at, at Sunderland his manager, he employs the assistant manager at Burnley who was with him the chief scout the club captain the club vice captain I mean, there were other players, there other uh, off, off his side as well. And as soon as things started going wrong, which they did, the Burnley contingent got the blame. Mm. And he had to drop three of us because we were ex-Burnley players, even though we weren't playing badly. Uh, and once that happened, um, all three of the players left the club and um, in, in a little bit of a on a downer, I think. Um, but Adamson, um, I'm not going to. I'm not going to I'm not going to blame him more, but uh, how how he handled it, I didn't think was good. Three people who followed him through thick and thin, and we we're all leaving the club very quickly. Um, And I think probably because he wanted to get rid. But uh, we'll never know.
1: Mm, uh, That's strange. Well, I I guess just from an objective perspective, it's it's easy to sort of point the finger, isn't it? You know, the the three Burnley lads, I guess.
0: Well, I think that, I don't think, to be fair, when he told us that he was dropping us, it, it, it was blatantly apparent why. And as, as, as captain, I spoke for the other two whether they liked it or not. And I said, boss, we understand why. Um, we'll, we'll carry on doing what we can do. But he never played us in the reserves. We didn't play. Um, and results didn't get any better. Uh, and all three of us left the club mm. halfway through the season. So. Wow. Was...
1: Was Manchester United before or after Sunderland?
0: Before. um, When when Anderson got sacked at Burnley, um, they put in charge a guy called Joel Brown. Joel Brown was um, a born-again Christian and he preached the Bible to everybody. I mean, preaching the Bible to a professional sports team Ain't going to go down well, but he was a really nice fella, mild, totally out of his depth as manager of a football club, and totally under the cosh of the chairman Bob Lloyd. Bob Lloyd was now an out -out cunt, um, and um, when this he sacked Adamson at Burnley, Mm. and. The the day they sacked him, Granada Television rang me up and I knew the Granada people. And they said, will you come and do an interview? I said, yeah, I'll come and do an interview. And they knew I was going to slag off the club. And uh, my phone goes, I'm just about to go down to Manchester for the interview, and it's Bob Lloyd. And he said, "Uh, I understand you're going down to do a TV interview. I said, yeah, I am. He knew that I was an Adamson man, and if you're an Adamson man, you were against Bob Lloyd. And he—he he was a, a dictator, like you won't believe. So he's took over, he's, he took always took. He always had the club anyway. But he sacked his manager, got a puppet in his place, Joe Brown, and rings me up and said, um, "I'm a bit concerned about what you're going to say in the interview." I said, well, to be honest, Mr Lloyd, um, I'm not going to say anything like that. Um, I'm going to say, I'm not going to put the club in jeopardy and um, anyway we hung up. I went down, did an interview, just said, look, that's football. That's what happens. It's sad, but we've got to get on with it. Results went from bad to worse. And the three players that were at Sunderland, went to Sunderland, were, were all, we were all Adamson men. Three blatant Adamson men in the team. Yeah. Within three games, we all got dropped. You're talking the captain, the vice-captain, and another player. who we were all first-team regulars and they all got dropped because the chairman, Bob Lloyd, said, get rid of them. So we all got dropped they carried on losing. They got relegated, but within um, within a, a month, Adamson sort had of got the Sunderland job, and we all went up to Sunderland. Oh, of was, but the that it didn't work there either.
1: Mm. That that's interesting to hear. That even now, like obviously with Paul's experience in the commercial side of the game, one of the things yeah. he often says about people on the board is that. And then uh, you know, I'm like directors and executives. Is that is that they're not football people? Like they don't no. understand the game. And it's interesting to hear that it was still the case back in. day. Well, the
0: they don't understand the game. If you go on the board of directors, you're there for one reason. Well, no, you might be there for two reasons. One is to support your club, and you've probably put some money in. But two is ego. All about ego mm. and nothing else. And Bob Lloyd at that particular time was skint, he was robbing the club. Um, and within I don't know, within a couple of years, he'd gone. Uh, That's
1: interesting. Now, uh, from your perspective as a player, I was really interested in. Interested to hear, and one of the things that Paul flagged to me um, when he suggested that I speak to you was the fact that you um, ran a business alongside the late great Colin Bell, um, yeah. who I've heard a lot of good things about. Yeah. Now,
0: okay.
1: you like you look know, at players, especially today um, in the modern game, like it's not uncommon for them to have like external business ventures, whether it be like a clothing brand, something fitness related or uh, just, yeah. like just shares or stakes in a, in a certain company. Yeah. And I'd be really interested to hear what was, what were. Both so, Colin what were Bell the, and I were at Burrit as kids.
0: Right. He was a couple of years older than me, I think. And he was in the first team and, and I was an apprentice. I would be cleaning his boots and whatever, but Colin Bell at, at And Brady were in the second division, and he was streets ahead of anybody. And he signed for Man City. Now, at that particular time, he had an agent. And the agent said, I asked the agent if he'd do me a favour. He said, well, you know, I'll put you under my books. Now, he only had two players on his books, me and Colin Bell. So me and Belly, uh, he went to Man City I came back to Burnley, and we'd bump, we'd bump into each other now and then, but we, but we had the same agent. And when I I'd had two moves, I'd got six grand in the bank in 1967. Belly had somewhere like five grand. And he said to us, look, you've got us together. I said, look, put your money into something. Go away and give it two or three months' thought, and come back and let's discuss it so we went back and cut a long story short we thought restaurant um so we owned this restaurant in whitefield which is just outside of bury and the, the agent said look we're going to call it the bell Waldron, because i advertise your names and particularly belly belly were big time the name Colin bell yeah and it was a shy introvert belly unbelievable Unbelievable. Anyway, so we own this restaurant and we immediately get um all Spanish waiters, and instantly it's it's a success. We've got a great chef, a Spanish chef, the waiters, and every Friday night the agent would be in there looking after because me and Belly on a Friday night to stay at home, obviously. With me and Belly had work a couple of nights each just to make sure that everything was right. And Not that we knew anything about the business, but people wanted to see us. But people wanted to see Belly, not me. Didn't bother me one bit. I would go in two three nights a week and I was, in, I was we had a restaurant, a cocktail bar and a coffee lounge all in, on the same level. Nice. I think we sat, we had about seventy or eighty uh, customers, and fucking hell, we were busy. And we were busy for two reasons: people came to see belly, and um, because the food was good. And it didn't bother me that, you know, that people wouldn't come and see me. It never it wouldn't. I wouldn't. It didn't bother me. The success of the restaurant was automatic, and. Every time I was in, I'd be in the restaurant. I'd go to every table, everything okay. Do you want the, I spoke to everybody two or three times every, every night I was in. Belly sat downstairs in the office at six o'clock, and at 11 o'clock, he'd start switching the lights off upstairs. So they had to leave. He couldn't, he, he couldn't talk to anybody. And I'd say, what the fuck? You know, what's fucking going on here? Because it really pissed me off. But the, the agent said, look, nothing you can do. You're stuck with it. Yeah. Uh, we, we had it for four years, hugely successful. Um, Belly sold out. No, I sold out first because I was getting married. And I think I got my six grand back and another four. I think I got ten grand. Two years later, Belly sold out got 98 grand oh, mm. <laughs> and the, the stupid thing was and i've never understood this it didn't bother me it didn't bother me because in in that business i learned a lot belly wouldn't learn fuck all, um but i learned a lot and um the the fact that I'd worked hard and I, my conscience was clear belly on the on the other I mean he didn't work tons. Um and but he got his money and good luck to the lad um, never sports him again we played against each other uh, and he would shake hands but he'd be gone he just his personality was zero. Um, That's interesting. It's just is different, aren't they? You talk to Paul Fletcher, maybe myself, outgoing.
1: Yeah.
0: Belly, unbelievably shy.
1: Did that come across as rude or just introverted? Just
0: shy. Well, we knew him as a, as a complete introvert. Yeah. Um, but in the in the restaurants, people are saying, Colin, why why does not Colin Bell not come up. I said, Well, he's a bit shy and he's not so good. I'd make excuses for him. Um, because if he'd have had a personality, bloody hell, he'd have been Billy really big time,
1: yeah. And I mean, <clears throat> I guess that's where his his mode of expression comes from. I mean, we were talking a little bit earlier about Lionel Messi, not the, yeah. not the. You know, the most outspoken person. I think it's been great to see him as Messi's got older grow into like leadership qualities. Yeah. He's, he's been a bit more outspoken on issues. But
0: I saw, a, I saw a clip today of Messi scoring a goal and he goes, Berserk. Absolutely. Oh if ever you get chance, look back on it anything to Colin Bell, you'll see you'll see him score wonder goals when he turns around and jogs back like that. <laughs> Totally, totally without emotion.
1: Wow! But I
0: was going to totally. say,
1: is that way? Do, do you think his way of expressing himself was just through his football?
0: Well, I, I, I wouldn't argue with that because he expressed it like nobody else. But um, he he just he didn't realise how much he was adored and idolised by people. And even if he did know it, he wouldn't show it and wouldn't want it. His, his introvert personality was, I've never known anything like it. Wow. It was just crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. It, he yeah. couldn't, couldn't talk to people in the restaurant. They'd come to see him. They'd travel miles. but Wouldn't come out of their stairs.
1: Mad. mad, mad. He, he's got a stand named after him now.
0: Oh, no, Yes. <laughs> I mean at man city he deserves it, but he hasn't got he hasn't got a bar named after him in the real Waldron.
1: <laughs> <laughs> now america right as yeah. like one of the things that really hurt me about this whole lo- lockdown and pandemic and not being able to travel was um the the university that Paul is the co-founder of, um, I've I've just finished studying there, and I was meant to spend, you know, my final year graduating the summer of last year, the summer of 2020. I was meant to be going over to the US um, and working with a a club in California, um, wow. and and doing a placement there, which just hasn't hasn't come off, obviously with the the pandemic. And I am absolutely fascinated with the way. Americans show like the showmanship of American sport um I think it's absolutely fascinating like obviously uh, you, you look at basketball baseball American football like that's their bread yeah. and butter they're excellent at it yeah. whereas yeah. soccer as I've heard you call it a couple of times as, as yeah. we've been speaking like it's still very much is developing even now and when yeah. you joined it wasn't Major League Soccer as we know it now. I think it was called the, the North American Soccer League or, or something mm-hmm. along that line. And um, I think you played for three different clubs, if I'm not mistaken, three different yeah. cities. So yeah. tell me all about it. How'd you find it? Oh, I loved it. Yeah.
0: Um, I, loved, I loved America and I loved Americans. Um, the first place I went to was Tulsa in Oklahoma. Great climate. Um, a little bit of a, a Bible-punching um, area, but that didn't bother me. Uh, the people were lovely, warm. Um, one thing about all Americans is if you were to walk along any street in Britain, and you're walk and you're walking along, and there's somebody coming towards you, the majority of Brits head down straight past. But In America, hi, how are you doing? Complete strangers. And it, it cost nothing, but for me it meant a lot.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, um, so that was one. The climate was the other. Um, obviously, we're, we're paying really good money. Uh, soccer had just started. Um, and Lord, just when we're in Tulsa, you're talking nineteen seventy seven, seven maybe seventy eight, seventy nine, maybe. And they—they never heard English people in, in in Oklahoma then. And I'd go into a bar and somebody say, "Hey, say that again, man." <laughs> and just and yeah. um, but Tulsa was lovely. Um, got transferred to Atlanta up so up towards towards New York. That was fabulous. Um, Again, great climate, places to see, unbelievable. Yeah, good morning again, and then a third transfer to Philadelphia, which was like Leeds on a wet day, um, just below New York. Uh, but by then, quite a few players had started to come across in our team. We had Alan Ball and Johnny Giles, um, yeah. both playing. Um, and Johnny Giles, obviously part of the Leeds filth. Never, we never discussed it, but he would wear plimsolls. And even in plimsolls, he'd try and break the legs. And I'm thinking, Johnny, what are you doing? It's uh, unbelievable. And for a small guy, um, good player, but frightening frightening even with plimsores on <laughs> Borley was uh, Borley couldn't stop playing and it, when he played it had to be 100% no matter what it was and I admired that um, but he was a play, another top not uh, when he was at Everton he was just something else wasn't he
1: yeah sensational
0: yeah um, and it, it showed you know what we played um, I had uh, three seasons there and then uh, I'd had enough. I came back and I was going to re- retire. And my um, best mate, who had over here, a lad called Doug Collins, rang me up. And he said, Call, he said, uh, What are you doing? I said, I've come back. I've finished. I'm done. He said, Well, I'm manager at Rochdale. Will you join me? I said, Fuck, Rochdale? Fuck in. Anyway, a couple of short. I went to Rochdale, and I mean, it was a huge mistake because um, you had to take your own kit. Right, I ain't got any kit, uh, so they got me some kit. Uh, when I came in for the first morning training, I threw all the kit on the floor, which you do at a football club, and it's, it's gathered together, watching and it's your day after. And they said, what are you doing? I said, oh, you got to wash your own. And I'm thinking... This ain't for me. Uh, and the, the the level of football was um, because I'd been a player in the higher echelons of football, and I'm down at these guys' level, they want to have a dig at you. And I start taking some tackles, I'm thinking... And I stood it for a while and then I just replied a couple of times and that put a stop to it. Yeah, uh, but I was glad to finish. By then, uh, I'd, I'd, uh, I'd bought myself a betting shop and uh, I'd started working on that. What are you doing here, pal? Hey? <laughs> I've nothing to eat pal, I've nothing to eat, go, go, good lad, go, I've nothing, I've nothing. So um, that's basically in a nutshell.
1: been a, Honestly, it's been a, a pleasure to, to re-recall and like some of your stories. and. <laughs> you've,
0: brought, you've brought things back that uh, I, I enjoy uh, because my memory's shot. But it's good to get to for somebody like yourself to j- rejig something and it all comes back, yeah. Of um,
1: course. um, it's good, yeah. Just quickly, one last one that I have got to ask about. As I said, you know, my granddad brought me up to you know study centre halves and um, you know, some of the best, as I say, one of the players I've always looked up to is Brian Labone. another one of those uh, centre half is Franz Beckenbauer. Um, Who I widely consider one of the best centre halves ever. Never mind centre halves; (laughs) one of the best footballers to play the game. Um, Oh yeah.
0: I mean, the thing was to call him a centre half is a bit of an insult, I think, to him. Uh, Because influence. He played centre half, but Bloody, he was like, um, he had everything, didn't he? He had good pace. His his ability on the ball was frightening. And, I mean, people talk about Bobby Moore. When we played West Ham, Bobby Moore was one of the centre-halves. We marked Bobby Moore with our fastest player, Frank Casper. Bobby Moore's flaw, which he was that good a player, he could hide it, was he had no pace. So we made sure Frank Casper marked him and we always did well against him. Yep. But Beckenbauer, you couldn't do anything like that with Beckenbauer. Mm. Just uh, just a bit um he probably, he'd probably come close to being um second or third in the world for me.
1: Certainly. Yeah, I yeah. Would say so. Like the way he could influence a game oh, yeah. at the bottom. Yeah, without a doubt. Incredible. Yeah. And um yeah. someone else finally before we we round this off and finish. Um, Somebody who I feel technically is certainly probably top 10 players that have ever played, but in regards to his philosophy and how he impacted the game even today, uh, especially when you look at Barcelona over the last 20 years, 25 years, and Mr. Johan Cruyff, who, if I'm not wrong, you did have an experience with over in America.
0: We played against him um, and I hit him with six studs. And I, I always made sure of my studs, you know, is another one here. When I, first re, when I first joined this hard man club, um, we had these really st- st- tough plastic um, studs. But then I came across these aluminium ones, but, but they were big. And I thought, that'll do for me. So I put them in my boots and filed them. Roughed them up. And then I realised that before every game, the referee came in and inspected all your boots. Yeah. So I took them off, put them in my dressing room thing, got a locker, put these other ones on. He came in, felt them. As soon as he went out again, switched my boots um but uh the what was i, what was I saying what we saying then before that like, yo, what
1: are you playing playing against oh, and, Cruyff. and i mean this guy
0: was six one six two okay we're quick and in football if you've got early pace huge mm-hmm. and i had i were blessed with not bad early pace. I'd said, take me on if you want to take me on. Well, he fucking took me on. On He was in the box, going towards the goal line. And I had a bloke with me, two of us. And he's gone past two of us in a blink. And I thought, that ain't going to happen again. So I hit him with six studs just below the groin. An absolute peach. And he jumped up and he said, Play the fucking ball, you cunt! <laughs> in English, in English oh. um, you know. I think we got beat four. Anyway, you're a bit tasty and-
1: Aye. Oh, What a story to sign off on, Colin. I just want to say, mate, it's been an absolute pleasure to to speak with you, sir. And- oh.
0: I hope, it's, I hope it's been all right.
1: Oh, it's been a, it's been absolutely brilliant. I, I, honestly, mate, reflecting on it. Like I've been running this podcast for the last year, I'd say now, a year or so. And this has certainly been up where one of my favourite um conversations yeah. that I've had.
0: The only, the only concern was I just thought that you were a law life because of doing Paul Fletcher.
1: Hi, I'll, uh, t- I'll tell him you said that. that. <laughs>